For those of you who are new, we're in a series about spiritual disciplines. And uh, so far, we've talked about serving God, we've talked about prayer, we've talked about fasting, and now today, we're going to talk about Sabbath and rest. Now, as I sat down to write this message, two things came to my mind that at first glance wouldn't seem to have anything to do with the message at all. But back in 2009, uh, the staff of New Life at the time, that was Pat Fessich, Brad French, Lisa Johns, Karen Schiebel and me, along with Nancy, my wife, who wasn't on staff at that time, flew to Colorado to visit in Colorado Springs with a group called Harvest Time. And the purpose of that was a consultation where we would get a master plan for new life. And the idea was that we would be more effective here in Saxonburg, our region, our nation, and to the very ends of the earth at sharing, growing, and living the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. As we flew from Pittsburgh to Denver, I got out a legal pad and I wrote the following acrostic uh, down the page, New Life XN, and XN stands for Christian, it's our website thing. Anyway, uh, as we traveled across the United States, words came to that acrostic, noticing and welcoming guests, equipping leaders, winning the lost, life management, indigenous worship, focus on men, everyone in ministry, extensive small group network. It took me a really long time to find one with X, X-ray, xylophone, none of them really seemed to work. Next generation focus. Um, and so when we were in Colorado Springs with Harvest Time, I shared this with the staff and, and I said, what do you think? And Pat Fessage said, where's prayer? Prayer is not in there. And prayer is an important part of who we are. So we decided that we would add an exclamation point at the top and at the bottom and we would put prayer because at New Life, everything begins and ends with prayer. And we started filtering everything we did here as a church through that, what we came to call the New Life XN mission strategy. And if you're wondering where is rest and Sabbath in there, I'm glad you asked that question. It's actually in the letter L, life management. Back in 2010, we fleshed out what life management means for us. Uh, I developed a seven-week series uh, on life management, and one of uh, the, there were seven principles of life management, and the first one is rest. The second one is prayer, physical care, relationships, study, finances, and work. So do you see where rest is? First. And why is it first? The, the message title today tells you, rest so you can do the rest. I wouldn't argue if you said that prayer is more important than rest or relationships, but rest is so important, and if we don't rest, we won't be able to do the rest. And that's actually our take-home point today. For those of you who are new, the take-home point is the one point we'll be making from Scripture that we want to take home and apply in our lives this week. So, let's see it again. If we don't rest, we won't be able to do the rest. Last week, I focused on fasting. And as I focused on that, I said it's only been really the last few years that I have really invested in fasting personally as a spiritual discipline. And the same could be said for rest and Sabbath. I haven't really practiced it very much, even though I preached a message on it back in 2010, and I'm sure I've probably preached another one or two. Um, I really didn't live that way. In fact, it goes back to when I was a teenager. I lived my life as fully as I could. I slept as little as possible. I said, you know, you might have heard this saying, but I don't think I invented it, but I certainly lived it out. You can sleep when you're dead. I used to think that way when I was a teenager. Anyway, once I started dating Nancy, who lived 28 miles away from me in the little town of Crickside or Creekside, you can say it however you want to, they say Crickside, um, and, and the, dr the drive from Gypsy to Crickside was 28 miles, and it was not on an interstate. So, 
that's really a joke. I mean, if you know, it's in northern, northeastern Indiana County to northwestern Indiana County. Anyway, it should have taken me about an hour to drive each way. I'll just say it took me a lot less than that. But nevertheless, I was still tired. And one day, my mother said to me, Chris, you cannot burn the candle at both ends. And I looked at her and I smiled and I said, Mom, it all depends on how long the candle is, right? <laughs> so... I lived that way throughout my 20s. And then one day, I think in my early 30s, I read this quote from Pastor Rick Warren who said, if you're burning a candle at both ends, you're not as bright as you think you are. <laughs> so that statement hit me, but it didn't hit me hard enough to change the way I lived. I knew that Jesus, after he did some exhausting things, he would go off by himself. And I assume he rested and then he prayed. He had time in solitude. But to me, it seemed like rest you know, Sabbath, solitude, they all seem like wasting time. I never stopped to realize that we live in a world where you actually never have to stop to rest. You see, in Jesus' day, when it got dark, they went to sleep. When the sun went down, everybody went to bed. What that means is that it was 7 or 8 o'clock at the latest that they went to bed. And so... They could sleep eight or nine hours, and they would still get up very early. In fact, when I was in seminary, I was so impressed by Martin Luther, the great reformer. They said that he used to get up every day and pray for two or three hours before he got into his day. And then I realized they didn't have electricity then either. And so Martin Luther probably went to bed at seven o'clock at night. If he slept eight or nine hours, he was getting up at three or four in the morning. And two or three hours of prayer at three or four in the morning pretty easy. So here's the thing. The invention of electricity. That was a thing that caused great and obvious blessings in our lives, right? But also brought a curse. And here's the curse. We never have to rest. When you live in a plugged-in world, rest is optional and we never have to turn off. So the thing is, God created us and God knows what's best for us. And in the very fabric of creation, God ordered rest. In fact, if you turn to Genesis chapter 1, the very first book of the Bible, the very first chapter of the Bible, you read about God creating everything. And at the end of every day after creation, it says this, there was evening and there was morning, the blank day. The first day, the second day, the third day. Do you notice anything unusual about the way that's worded? There was evening and there was morning. So day started at night. In our days, days start in day, and night is, you know, day begins in the morning and it ends at night. And that difference makes all the difference. If a day starts in the evening, then the day starts, or at least it's supposed to start, with rest. If, if sundown is the beginning of the day, and the Jews consider it that way even to this day, then that means the first thing we do is go to bed. And then we sleep for a while, and then we get up in the middle of the day. And, and you know whose middle of the day it is? It's God's middle of the day because God never slumbers or sleeps, according to King David, who was you know, one of the greatest psalm or hymn writers of, of all time. God doesn't rest. So we get up, and you know, all through my 20s, I had a daytimer, I hardly ever looked at it, but I did look at it every morning, and at the top of the page, you know what it said? Carpe diem, seize the day. And the reality is, if day starts at night, I'm getting up in the middle of the day and I'm just joining God in His day that's half over already. It's sort of a humbling perspective, isn't it? So here's the thing. When we rest first and then get up, when we take a day each week to rest, which the Bible calls Sabbath, we have energy, the strength to do the rest. 
So let's turn to Exodus. It's the second book in the Bible, if you want to follow along. And we're going to see what God told Moses about Sabbath, about rest. So uh, it's also going to be on the screen. It's Exodus chapter 31, starting in verse 12. Before we do that, let's pray. God, we thank you that you are the creator of all that exists. And you created us in your own image. And God, we, I thank you today, especially, that you did create us as beings who can work, who can play, who can do all kinds of things. But today we're going to talk about the reality that you also created us to rest, to reflect, to be refreshed and renewed. And I pray, God, that these words will not just fall into our minds and bounce off, but they will penetrate into our spirits and that they will change us from the inside out so we can bring you more glory, more honor every single day of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Exodus 31, it says, The Lord then gave these instructions to Moses. Tell the people of Israel, be careful to keep my Sabbath day, for the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant between me and you from generation to generation. It is given so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. You must keep the Sabbath day, for it is a holy day for you. So the first thing God says to Moses is that the Sabbath, or the day of rest, is a sign of the covenant. What's a covenant? It's an agreement, and it's more than a contract because it's an agreement between God and people. And the covenant, God said, made them a holy people. Now, we don't use the word holy very much these days, but holy, all it really means is set apart. God set apart the people of Israel for special love and special attention. That doesn't mean that God doesn't love all the other people in the world. In fact, what it really means is God set them aside to establish them as a people so that they could be the light to show God's love to all the rest of the world. That was the plan that God had. So, the next thing we're going to read, if you've never heard these words before, you want to brace yourself a little bit because this is how seriously God took the Sabbath. It says, anyone who desecrates it, that is the Sabbath, must be put to death. Anyone who works on that day will be cut off from the community. Wow. (laughs) Why in the world would God tell Moses that it was a capital offense not to stop one day a week to observe or celebrate the Sabbath? He doesn't exactly tell us explicitly, but he does go on to give us some more detail. He says, you have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day must be a Sabbath day of complete rest, a holy day dedicated to the Lord. Anyone who works on the Sabbath must be put to death. The people of Israel must keep the Sabbath day by observing it from generation to generation. This is a covenant obligation for all time. It is a permanent sign of my covenant with the people of Israel. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he stopped working and was refreshed. So do you see the clue as to why we're supposed to observe or celebrate the Sabbath? It's in that verse where it says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he stopped working and was refreshed. Now God wasn't tired at the end of creating the universe. He's God. He never slumbers or sleeps, as I already said, according to King David. So God wasn't tired after six days, so he said, Wow, man, i got to take a break. But he did take a break, and it says he was refreshed. And really... Why is it that he would tell us that we need to take one day out of every seven to stop? And that's what Sabbath literally means. It means cease or stop. One day to stop because we forget. We forget to stop. We forget who God is. Back in April of 1979, April 14th to be exact, I married Nancy. 
And that summer, I worked 70 hours a week because I was going to do student teaching in the fall, and I wasn't going to have the ability to make any money. So I worked a lot of hours, and then in the fall when student teaching came, I'd student taught, then I'd come home, and uh, we had a wood burner, and we had uh, a friend who gave us some free trees that I had to chop up and then put into firewood so I could use it in a wood burner. So I did that till dark most evenings, and then I came in and got ready for school the next day, and oh yeah, I had a new wife. I wanted to spend a little bit of time with her, so you can see how rest and Sabbath weren't really part of my vocabulary. Then we went off to seminary, and in seminary, we had classes every day, and then I read hundreds of pages every evening, and then on the weekends, worked at Garwood Presbyterian Church. Not really much time for Sabbath there either, so then we go into the, the ministry, and, and this just kept repeating. And now, why am I telling you all this? Because if I had been an Israelite, I would have died at a young age for breaking the Sabbath. Because I didn't stop. And, and I know many of you in the room would be the same. And here's the thing. I know what you're thinking. At least I know what some of you are thinking. Wait a minute, Chris. That's the old covenant. That's the law of Moses. We don't have to listen to that anymore because we belong to the new covenant. And if you think that, good for you. And if you're not really, you know, a church person, you're not really familiar with the Christian faith, then many Christians believe this. They believe that we don't have to do anything from the law of Moses or what's called the Old Testament because it's part of the Old Covenant, the law of Moses. And we have a new covenant. We do. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, He established a new covenant. And you know what He said? That the center point of that new covenant is we're supposed to love one another as I have loved you, as Jesus loved us. So the point these Christians make is we're free to do whatever we want to do because we're not under the law of Moses anymore. Now, the reality is that point is at best partly true. We are free from sin and death and from works of the law done to earn God's favor. Before we got out of bed this morning, God loved us. And if we didn't do anything, if we never even got out of bed today, God would still love us. But here's the thing. We are not free to do whatever we want. The new covenant based in Jesus' love for us calls us to love one another to love God and to love ourselves. And we could invest an entire message series, and we have, on loving God and loving others and loving ourselves. But what Jesus is doing in establishing the new covenant is telling us things aren't the way they used to be. So what does it mean to observe or celebrate Sabbath under the new covenant? Well, Jesus gives us a couple examples. We can see first one is in Mark chapter 2, if you want to follow along, verse 23. It says one Sabbath, so it is a Sabbath. And remember... Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet, so they're still living under the old law at that time. It says Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, the picture is simple. Jesus and the disciples are walking through a grain field. It's a Sabbath day. You're not allowed to work. The Pharisees rigidly, 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 observe the Sabbath. They're always watching Jesus and his followers because they want to condemn Jesus. They want to show people that Jesus isn't the Messiah, God's anointed one. So as soon as the disciples take a few heads of ripe grain, put it in their mouth, the Pharisees go, look, 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 they're working. Really? They're working? They took a couple pieces of grain and put it in their mouth? And so Jesus says this. He said to them, have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. 
So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So you see what Jesus did? He turned to the Pharisees. He said, you think you know the law? You think you know what the, the Scripture says? Well, do you remember what David did? He wasn't even king yet. He went into the tabernacle and he took the bread that only the priests are allowed to eat and he ate some of it and he gave it to his friends. How was that not breaking the law? Because David was following a higher command, a direct command from God. And what Jesus says is so crucial. He says the Son of Man, that's Jesus, is Lord of the Sabbath. He says the Sabbath was made for us not the other way around. We're not supposed to be so rigid in our observation of the Sabbath that it's actually work to not work. So, what does it mean that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath and that the Sabbath was made for man, not the other way around? Well, I can tell you what it doesn't mean. Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we can do anything we want, including work 16, days, seven, 16 hour days, seven days a week, and call that honoring God and the Sabbath. The disciples were hungry. They picked a little bit of grain. If you go home today and you're hungry, eat. If you're tired, take a nap. It's pretty simple stuff, right? So as we continue in Mark's Gospel, right, right next passage, they go from the grain field to the synagogue. It was a Sabbath day, and you were allowed to leave your house. Like If, if this were still under the Old Testament rule, you would be allowed to drive your car here to worship and home. But don't stop at Burger King on the way home because that's not legal on the Sabbath. So they had been walking through the grain fields. They stopped at Wheat King, I guess, and they had a, a little bit of wheat. And, and then they go into the synagogue, and here's what it says. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. The Pharisees were eager to condemn Jesus. And they saw an opportunity. There was a man with a withered hand. And if Jesus healed the man, they were going to say that Jesus was working on the Sabbath and they were going to condemn him. Now, if you think that's ridiculous, so did Jesus. And this is what happens next. It says, and Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved, at their hardness of heart. If you have a picture of Jesus in your wallet or purse, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, you can take that picture out and tear it up right now. And you can put a new picture in there. A picture of Jesus who's looking around at the religious leaders and saying, do you have an ounce of compassion in your heart? No. Well, guess what? I do. It, it says Jesus looked at them, not with compassion, not with understanding, the religious leaders, with anger. He was grieved that they were hard-hearted. And so it says, Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. What we need to understand is the Pharisees going out and counseling with the Herodians would be like Nancy Pelosi going out and counseling with former President Trump about anything. The Pharisees and the Herodians hated each other. They did not want to be in the same room with each other, but they had a common enemy, Jesus. And so they were willing to work together. But they couldn't see that Jesus cared more about the man than he cared about what day it was. And here's the thing. 
The Sabbath is for renewing and restoring us. That's why there's a Sabbath. To renew and restore us. Just as God refreshed Himself on that very first Sabbath, we are supposed to pause one time, one day each week to rest, to be renewed, to be refreshed, and to remember God's great salvation in our lives. Now, I've finally begun to see, not only to see, but actually to live out this idea of Sabbath in my own life. It's taken a long time, really long time. But over the past several years, I've read as many books as I could about rest and Sabbath, and three of them really stood out. One is called To Hell with the Hustle by Jefferson Bethke, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, and Take the Day Off by Robert Morris. Now, the first two authors were in their 20s and 30s when they wrote these books, and they really get it. The truth is, it's easier to burn the candle at both ends because we live in a plugged-in world. In fact, we don't need candles anymore. We make fake candles that never burn out, right? They don't ever have to burn out. But the reality is, the world will reward you for sleeping less and working more. You get promotions when you work more and sleep less. But here's what happens. Back in January, remember we talked about the body, the soul, and the spirit, and how we're each made up of a spirit, a soul, and a body? Well, over time, if we don't take any time to rest, one of those three, or all three, will break down. Our spirit, our soul, or our body. Back when I was uh, first in the ministry as a lead pastor at Glade Run Presbyterian Church, from the second year on, for three years in a row, every November, I got pneumonia. Every year, I got pneumonia. My body just said, hey, Chris, guess what? It's Sabbath. For two weeks or three weeks, I couldn't do anything. The ministry that I was supposed to be doing continued to be done, by the way, with other people doing it. You see, we are not God. And that's one thing that Sabbath shows us. We will eventually rest one way or the other. You know, you can sleep when you're dead. Actually, you can't because you're either going to be in heaven or hell and you're going to be awake all the time. But you really have an opportunity. I have an opportunity to either take God seriously when it comes to this idea of rest and Sabbath or else our bodies or our souls or our spirits will make sure that we take a Sabbath. So let me give you a new picture of Sabbath. It's actually the picture that finally changed my mind, my heart, my life, my spirit, soul, and body to believe that we should take Sabbath. It's actually found in the book To Hell with the Hustle by Jefferson Bethke. He said, picture Sabbath as a mini Christmas. Sabbath day is mini Christmas. Now, everybody loves Christmas. At least every normal person loves Christmas, right? Because why? Well, when do you get up on Christmas? Well, if you're little, you get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. You know, but if you're older, you sleep in. You don't have to get up. There's no big rush to get out of bed. What do you do as far as food? Hey, you have something. We have always some special thing on Christmas. You know, you have a special meal. What else do you do? Well, a lot of times we visit relatives. Yesterday on my Sabbath, which Friday is, no, this is Sunday, isn't it? Holy Two days ago on my Sabbath, which is Friday because Saturday and Sunday are work days, my brother Tom and his, his daughter Lee came out from Ohio and we, set, we celebrated a Sabbath. You know what we did? We had a special meal, which you might not think it's special, but we had sloppy joes and coleslaw. My brother Tom thought that was really special. I thought it was pretty special. But then we had a brownie Sunday. That is special. Okay? And then after that, Leanne and Nancy and Miko went to Saxonburg to shop. And my brother Tom said, are you going? I said, are you kidding me? I don't want to shop on my day off. So we sat down in the basement and we watched basketball because it's March Madness. So we sat there and we talked about the good old days and we talked about the new days and we had just a restful, peaceful day. Now, the other thing you do on Christmas, what else do you do on Christmas? 
you remember that the God of the universe sent His only Son to the earth as a little baby so that He could grow up to die on the cross and rise from the dead and give us a new life. And that's what we also do on the Sabbath. We stop and we think about the reality of how much God loves us. So when we take a time for Sabbath, we rest, we remember who's in charge, we remember that God will supply all of our needs according to His riches and glory. And that is our material needs, right? I mean, a lot of people have learned that tithing and giving generously is something that's actually really good. If you do that, you give away 10% or 15% of your money, and you're left with what? 90%, 85%? And what happens is that 85 or 90% covers all your needs. Well, guess what? It's the same when it comes to time. If you take one day off every week, God will give you the ability to get done in the six days that are left what needs to be done in those six days. So, you don't have to trust Jefferson Bethke about that. You don't have to trust me about that. Trust God. I mean, God is the one who said that you need to stop one day a week. Or actually, you ought to be put to death. That's what he said to the people in the Old Testament. And I've thought about that a lot. Why in the world would God make four things were capital crimes in the Moses law, Mosaic Law, and one of them was the Sabbath? Why would that be? Well, think about it. The Israelites had been slaves for 400 years. They never had a day off. For 400 years, they were at the beck and call of the Egyptians. They did whatever the Egyptians told them to do. And then God freed them. Freed them. And he says, you know what? One day a week, I want you to stop what you're doing. Put it down. And I want you to just think about me. That's what God was saying. I want you to be renewed and refreshed. You don't have to work that day. Because I'm your God now. I got you. I have you taken care of. So, you don't have to believe me. Trust God. Trust Jesus. What did Jesus say? Sabbath was made for you. So you could be renewed and restored. Sabbath isn't some rigid thing where you have to obey all these laws. And, and, and how about if we trust the Holy Spirit who lives in us once we trust Jesus, Savior and Lord. He will lead us and guide us on what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do on the seven days of the week, six of the work days and one day of, of rest. So if you're going to do that, Today's next step, and if you're new, the next step is the action point. What are we going to go out and do? As in, it's sort of funny to say, what are we going to go out and do when I talked about resting and not, not working? But here it is. I will rest each day, and I will celebrate a Sabbath this week. So one of the amazing things about the last couple years since I've been focusing on this and fasting and, all the, and solitude and all these disciplines is 2020 and 2021. Anybody remember those two years? Great years, Right? Actually, they're the best two years of my life. They have been the best two years of my life because I finally, I guess I had enough time to really stop and figure out what Jesus was talking about when it comes to these things because these disciplines aren't given to make our lives miserable. They're given to free us up so we can live the life that we were called to live. And sure, I mean, the world's been in chaos and it's been a, it, there's been a lot of bad stuff. But because of the order that these things have brought to my life, I can honestly say they have been Two of the best years of my life. Carrie Newhoff says, the solution to an unsustainable life is not a vacation. The solution to an unsustainable life is a sustainable life. You see, a lot of people, they work for six months in a row, never take a break, take a couple weeks off, and they think that's going to fix their life. Won't fix your life. What will fix your life is living according to God's rhythm. Rest and work, rest and work, take a day off, rest and work, rest and work, like that. You see, after Jesus... 
becomes truly the Lord of not just the Sabbath, but every day of our life, our life will be better than we can imagine. Amen? All right, four of you agree with me. Okay, so that's more than in any other group, though. Um, I know this is a tough message. And, and I mean, I didn't live it out, and, and I still struggle to live it out. But here's the thing. If you're here today, um, ordinarily, I, I did talk a little bit, bit about Jesus today, but mostly we talk a lot more about Jesus because we believe that Jesus is Lord, which means God and owner and master of life. We believe that he is Savior, which means he came to earth to rescue us from sin and death. But this series is really more inclined for those who have already trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord to know how we are supposed to live as disciples. That's what discipline is all about. Disciples do discipline so they can be like Jesus. But if you have never trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord, I want you to know it's very simple. It's not easy, but it's very simple. Here at New Life, we say it's as simple as A, B, C. A is admit. Admit that you've burned the candle at both ends. Or admit that you haven't even lit your candle. Admit that you haven't lived the way God created you to live. That's what we need to do first. Second, we be believe. Believe that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath and Lord of all time. And even Lord of beyond time. He is the Lord of everything. And then, C, confess Jesus as Savior, rescuer in your personally, your life personally, and Lord, owner of your life from this point forward. And when you do those three things, admit, believe, and confess, you get a new life and the Holy Spirit comes in and we get to start living differently from that point forward. Without rest, we really can't do the rest. But let's face it, in this world, everything is chaotic and it's always going to be chaotic and the only place that we can truly find rest is in Jesus Christ and if you don't have a relationship with Jesus and if he is not your Lord and Savior today is the day you can pray this with me or you can pray in your own words dear God I admit that I am a sinner in need of a Savior and I believe that Jesus is your son and I believe that he came to this earth and that he died on the cross and rose on the third day. And I confess, I confess that I am a sinner and that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And I commit to following him every day in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I trust that I will always find rest in him. In Jesus' name we pray.